Good morning. Good morning. Hi. <laughs> I have the pleasure of sharing God's word with you this first week of New Year's. Yesterday, um, I started. Uh, it was kind of like the first weekend after all of the holidays, and um, to really get myself settled into the new year. And I have a habit of. Um, like putting Christmas decorations away and then you know I started cleaning I told myself I will clean up only like the living room and then I will use the rest of the day to really you know focus on maybe what God might want me to do and I tend to feel more closer to him when I'm out in nature so I told myself I'll go out to the beach and maybe like sit down and see the waves and really enjoy God's creation and and maybe meditate on his word a little bit. And I got, I got the meditation in and, and the prayer in, but the, the, the living room cleanup ended up turning into like, uh, like a garage cleanup and then a kitchen cleanup and then the, my room cleanup and then like I scrubbed in between the tiles and it, it just turned into like a full-on like spring cleaning spree. And, you know, everybody, you know, feels like, more settled when they're in a home after the holidays and when you get back into the rhythm of things. And that's what I wanted to kind of share with you, not about like my technique and how to clean the grouts, but what, what home should be like. And while I was um, meditating on God's word, um, God has been really speaking into my heart about his kingdom and I, you hear that all the time, or I, I read about that all the time, and you hear uh, people, you know, like mention it in church all the time, and, you know, I just hear about it, and then I pass it on, and you have kind of like a vague concept of what that should be, and what that's supposed to look like, but that really uh, is something that God's been working in my heart, and I'm hoping that that's something that he's going to continue to reveal throughout this year, and I want to share that with you today. The kingdom of God is mentioned about 61 times in the Gospels and just the Gospels alone. And it's not a topic um, solely found in the New Testament. It's also found in the, and revealed in the Old Prophets and the Old Testament. Whenever it's mentioned, like kingdom or the king on his throne and his reign over all creation. And whenever you hear the words like Zion on top of a hill, <clears throat> that's, that's the kingdom of God being mentioned. And it's definitely uh, a topic that brought hope and conviction to the Jews when Jesus declared those faithful words as he began his ministry because the Jews had been in exile for such a long time. They had gone for, um, been under one rule after the next and they longed and yearned for their kingdom, their nation to be restored like the kingdom of David. Whenever they think of the golden ages, they always think of the kingdom of David. And I mean, the kingdom of God under the rule of David. And so, um, but I'm not gonna go into, you know, speaking about like Zionistic, you know, views or debate about like deep eschatological like stances. And if anybody is like curious about that or wants to learn more about that, I kindly ask you to, ask more Matt. I'm just joking, Matt. <laughs> so, um, so, 
you know, but I do want to talk about and speak about um, today what, what everybody knows and can relate to immediately. And the topic, what I mentioned earlier, is about home. Home. And you can all sigh a relief <laughs> a little bit. Everyone can talk about home. Everyone, right? Whether it's small or big or furnished or not, clean or not. Everybody has a very specific temperature that they like their home to be in. There's a specific noise quality, right? Whether you have children, you have, some people have pets, some people don't. And so your home is very personal and special place for you. And we all have a place that we picture immediately in our heads when I say that word. And it's a place where you feel at peace, hopefully, because you know how things work, who's there, how people behave, how they interact with one another. Sometimes when I have a tendency to talk to my mom on the phone, immediately, like, my Korean will come out and, like, my broken English will come out and, you know, all of the English that has to happen so that she, like, I'm saying the same thing in English, but if I say it with a broken accent, like, she understands that English word. It's like, there's a specific language, there's a specific behavior that you tend to, like, manifest from you when you're with people from your home. And it may not be Hawaii. It may be back in the mainland. It may be somewhere else. And the last couple of years have been a good year for Hawaii specifically, right? When, when you see people representing Hawaii, their home. Well, there was, uh, the last year, there was Bruno Mars who was on his tour, and he felt compelled to give back to his home community. I think there was like a short snippet while I was like looking at the news, like he showed one of his interviewers where he had lived and which school he had been to and where he grew up. And um, there's also the latest movie, like Aquaman, where Jason Momoa, like I think he was like born in Honolulu and he was, he's so dedicated uh, to his like Hawaiian roots that he did the haka during his like Hawaiian premiere. And so he feels that connected to his home. This is his home, right? He, he didn't cry in ho- Hollywood, he cried here. So the joy of belonging to a family, the joy, that, that sense of I'm safe here, this is where I belong, is the, the type of yearning and emotions that come up when we think of the word home. But do we have that same sense of strong urgency or straight, strong yearning that same clarity of vision and picture of what it's supposed to look like when I say the words kingdom of God. Not really. If we have accepted Jesus as our Savior, then the kingdom of God should be our home. When at one time we were destined for an eternity of separation from God, We now have a hope to be in eternity with him in that kingdom. The problem is, although we can clearly picture a time and a place here in this world, how can we picture a home that we've never been to? 
The Bible clearly tells us that this kingdom has been given to us and it's to be expanded. But how can we expand something we can't experience? We don't have a clear picture of what it's supposed to look like. I want to share with you that the word of God really answers this very clearly. The kingdom of God has been revealed to us through Jesus Christ himself, and it can be established here in this world through worship. And it must be something that we must share with the rest of the world. And as always, as deep and unfathomable as the word of God is, its concept has been laid out for us so simply by the life of Jesus Christ so that I can understand it, so that you can understand it. Their very first words that Jesus proclaimed when he began his formal ministry was, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near Repent and believe the good news. And his ministry was centered on this as he mentioned this over and over again. The Greek word for near is a word egizo. And it means to bring near or to come towards or approach. And now we can discuss all the different meanings that Jesus might have meant by communicating this. He might have meant the kingdom of God could be the new era of God's dominion as the Jews in the audience would have been praying for at that time, would have been really, really yearning for another new physical nation. It can also be the revival of the church where a new community of believers is created for all people and all nations. It can also be the heavenly realm that we are all here waiting for a time when we are in God's presence for eternity, basking in his presence. I believe all of these are and were true. Jesus was speaking of all of these things and more. But he was speaking of something fundamentally simple as well. Something simple that we can grasp onto and have the clarity we need today to understand what the first disciples understood and moved and preached and lived out 2,000 years ago. If there is nothing we can say about Jesus' ministry, there is one thing that is crystal clear that we can say. Jesus did the will of God. Everything he did, everything he said, everything he taught, and everyone he healed, even to his death. Let not my will, but yours be done. Luke twenty two forty two. His mind, body, and soul was in line with the will of God. And wherever Jesus' ministry and work was being done, God's will was being done. And wherever God's will is being done, then that means God has reigned over that time, that person, and that place. And if God is reigning, then God is king. The kingdom of God is where God's will is being done. And if 
Jesus Christ's birth, life, and work, his very existence was only through that of God's will, then Jesus Christ is the kingdom of God. In Luke 17, 20 to 21, it says, Now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. So when Jesus says to the Pharisees, The kingdom of God is near, he's saying, Look at me. I am here. Ta-da. It's not a kingdom that you're looking for. It's not some kind of rule or political reign or some kind of physical nation with geographical boundaries. We all know what an embassy is, right? One of my favorite embassies, um, I don't know if, if anybody had a favorite embassy, but one of the most memorable <laughs> embassy that I know of is um, there was one in San Francisco that I used to walk next to every single time when I had to go to work. And um, I remember it because most embassies are usually have like a very fortified look or like a building that has a little bit of grandeur, right? Where it's a little... Uh, like representative of that nation. It usually has the, their nation's flag, and it's, it feels like very formal. But this embassy was very small. It was very cozy. And if you know any of the buildings in San Francisco, they're very tight, like literally right next to each other, and you can hear somebody else sneezing in the next building. And this one embassy didn't look any different from the buildings to its left or to its right. The only way you knew that it was an embassy is because it had two flags in the front. It had the state, United States flag and it had the Spanish flag from Spain. And so it was a Spanish embassy. And it was really cute. And also, it was not in the best neighborhood. It was like, it's in one of those like kind of tenderloin areas where you have to keep your purse a little bit closer to you when you, and walk a little bit faster at night. But all of that being said, that embassy is still follows the rules of all embassies. And most, the, the unique thing about it is that once you step inside that embassy, inside the building, you are under the rule of that sovereign state. Right? In more dangerous locations, there's, there's a there's a convention that states that in an embassy that nobody has any um, rule over that location and the, the hosting nation has to even protect, has an obligation to protect the mission of that embassy. So if that nation, that sovereign state has an idea and reason for it to be there, then the hosting nation has to protect it. So basically, that little San Francisco building, inside that building was Spain inside. All of the things in, inside are done in a way that the nation of Spain wills and deems appropriate. But the coolest thing is, when the term embassy was first created, it didn't represent a location or a building 
It was to describe the ambassador and his or her staff. The embassy was a person. The person who would fulfill the wills of the nation he or she represented. The wonderful thing about Jesus is that he never tells us to do anything that he himself has not already done. Jesus is telling us that the kingdom of God is not something so abstract and theologically overwhelming that we cannot understand or grasp its concept. That's what the Pharisees expected when they questioned Jesus. If you are really the son of God and the kingdom of God is near, where is it? But he is saying, Jesus is saying, it's me. It's what I did, whom I love, how I healed, where I went, what I spoke. Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. Matthew 6.10. That's what we are called to do. As ambassadors of Christ, his kingdom will come when his will is being done in our life and through it. And God's will has been and always will be to be with us. We are to bring Jesus wherever we go and whatever we do. In 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20, it says this, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. When others see you, and they see Jesus, when others are near you and they are reconciled to God, that's when the kingdom is being established. But how can we do that? How can we bring Jesus into every situation, you may ask? Have you ever seen my job? Have you ever seen my family? Lieutenant, you have no idea what you're talking about. How do you bring Jesus in when your stapling papers are writing a report? But this also is written in the Bible. I love that the Bible gives us direction step by step sometimes. It's so blunt and in your face. And I need that sometimes. Like, God, just give me a direction. I have a desire to do your will, but show me how. We've established that the kingdom of God is wherever God's will is being carried out. And Jesus was able to do that in his life and ministry. But you can say, and I can say, well, he's God. God can do God's will. That's easy. Or at least he had it easier than us. We're just human. Even though we may know what God's will may be, sometimes it seems impossible to do it. There are so many overwhelming things that you have to overcome. 
Sometimes we just don't even know where to begin. I was just talking to some of the teens outside, and I said, sometimes I see it, it's so clear, but it's like hitting my head against a glass door, like a fly. But how are we to establish the kingdom of God like this? And again, it's so simple and yet so profound. It is through worship. Matthew 4, 1 through 11, you see Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the desert. He had a crazy 40-day period in the desert of being tested. And now the desert had special meaning to the Jewish people. They had a history when Moses brought them out of Egypt into the desert where they were to worship God. And they were given the laws of life, but more importantly, they were given specific instruction on how to worship God in God's terms. So Jesus going into the desert was a time of testing. Yes, But more importantly, it was a time that was laser-focused on God. Denying himself of everything, fasting and praying and speaking out his truth. Jesus knew all the trials that would come during his short three years in ministry. And Jesus is showing us today that a time that is separated for God to be grounded in his work, to be able to speak it out loud, to know who you are in God is vital before we even think about bringing the kingdom of God into our lives. Many times before the day began, Jesus was mentioned, he often withdrew to pray. Before he was able to fulfill the ultimate will of God, dying on the cross and suffering, he prayed and asked others to pray with him. I've told you before, my favorite book of the Bible is Joshua because there's battles and villains and castles and spies and all things epic. But there's something that I came across when reading this section of the Old Testament. In Exodus 13, 17, God said, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Are you saying that there was a shortcut and they didn't have to roam around for 40 years? Yep. God knew it but he didn't take them through that road. Now I just mentioned to you that later in the book of Joshua, there's a lot of battles, and the Israelites were armed and ready to fight. They had this awesome general, Joshua, who was super skilled, and they laid waste almost every city that they came across. So what happened between the book of Exodus when God said they're not ready to the book of Joshua when they laid waste every city. What changed these people? What prepared them to fight and establish their kingdom of God? Was it like a time where the Spartans go out and hunt and they were trained and they came back all military? Who? 
The 40 years in the desert, that's what happened. They ate nothing but manna every morning. Every once in a while, they had quail. For 40 years, God personally trained them and guided the people, not how to do push-ups, but how to worship him. He gave them measurement, specific measurements, and a laundry list of requirements to make the tabernacle. He gave them even a longer list on how to live a life that is separated and pure so that they may come before the tabernacle of God and in his presence. What was all of this but teaching them how to worship? The Israelites had been in Egypt for so long they made a mistake when they first tried to worship God They did it in their own terms and in their own ideas, in their own concepts. What did they learn in Egypt? Oh, you have a God? Let's make an idol. So what did they do? They made a golden calf. If they had entered Canaan, the promised land, with that kind of mentality, they would probably never have been able to establish the kingdom of God the way he wanted it to. The Israelites, I'm sorry, the Israelites had learned through their time in the desert to live, breathe, eat, and drink in the very presence of God. In Exodus 13, 22, it says, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. For 40 years, God's presence physical presence was before them. They learned what Jesus will proclaim in the New Testament. That worship was wherever God was dwelling with them. God with us. You can tell that once the Israelites learned the power of worship, the power of having God dwell with the people, that that, that that was the key that was necessary to establish the kingdom of God. You can see this when they took on the very first city of Canaan, Jericho. And how did they conquer it? They worshiped God. They brought their flutes, they brought their harps, they cried out, and they proclaimed the name of God. And the walls came tumbling down. We are very similar to the Israelites. We have all the right intentions to establish God's kingdom but we sometimes do it with our own ideas and how it should be done. I know I make that mistake sometimes. I'm so eager to do what God wants me to do, sometimes I forget to ask what he wants me to do. We create our own golden calves. Jesus shows us time and again that the kingdom can be established through worship. He was able to do God's will because Jesus was always in communion with God. The Israelites were called out of Egypt and changed their whole strategy of taking the land of Canaan because they learned that worship was when God was with them, dwelling with them, and submitting every 
decision to that sovereign presence. To have clarity on how to bring the kingdom of God here in our lives, in our families, in our workplace, we must worship. We must set a time apart where we are in his presence. God's throne, his kingdom is established through the worship of his children. Isaiah 43, 21 says, the people whom I formed for myself will declare my praise. Then the question to ask is not what is the kingdom of God and how to do that, but is God's presence dwelling in my life and in your life? Is he present in our workplace, in our classroom, in our families? And do we pray about it? Do you praise him for all of the things that he has done, for the small things he's given to you today? Do we cry out to God when we don't feel him near us? Has God given you a passage that reminds you of your coworker, of your sister, of your brother, of your cousins? Have you tried saying it out loud when you're on your break or when you're interacting with them? Do you even utter the name of Jesus once in a day? People may think you are crazy, but you never know what walls will come tumbling down. Just as the Israelites were able to establish the kingdom of God as long as they were able to worship before his presence in the tabernacle, we too have a place of worship where the spirit of God dwells. We have the most portable, most convenient place of worship of all. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. Many people ask me, Lieutenant, why did you become a Salvation Army officer? And I had to think about that very seriously. I have, I have to think about that every single time I answer that. <clears throat> And yes, it's clear that God has called me to this formal ministry, but everyone who accepts Jesus is called by God. And if I had to be something, if I could give that answer back, it had to be something personal and something very fundamental that I could hold on to if I ever find myself in difficult times because I wasn't going to be in denial and think that this was going to be a bed of roses. And this is what I came to conclusion. The idea of home is very important to me. I've never really had a home that I could feel safe or secure in. And the only place without a shadow of a doubt when I ask myself, where do you belong? Kyla, where do you belong? Is the church, wherever there are people worshiping God, wherever his presence is being felt, 
that's where I know I belong. That is where my home is. This is his kingdom. It's easy for us to get confused by the physical things that we see and the buildings that we live in, in the towns and the cities that we move to. Soldiers in the battlefield can never confuse the MWR as their true homes. My cousin who's in the army taught me what that was, the MWR. It stands for morale, welfare, and recreation. It's kind of like uh, a building or a tent, that's what he says. It's uh, made usually near the battlefield, and it's set up with video games and food and fellowship that reminds you of things back home. An environment that reflects where they came from, home away from home. Brothers and sisters, our home, the final kingdom of God, is not yet. We'll be there soon. But the place where we will forever be with Jesus, praising and worshiping to our heart's content, is not yet. But for now, for now, we must establish the kingdom here on our battleground. like an MWR is for us. We have a loving Lord in Jesus who was able to do all of God's will and conquer death and who is willing to show us exactly how to do it. He is also with us through the Holy Spirit instructing us in every turn to make just like the pillar was for the Israelites day and night, how to do God's will and how to conquer death in our own lives. So declare who Jesus is. Bring him with you wherever you go in every interaction that you have. Jesus is our home. And worship every day, every moment you have a chance Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Meditate upon the word of God day and night so that we can do everything written in it. Do it when you are alone, one-on-one with God. And do it corporately with a community of believers. And if you don't, pray even for that and God will send you people. When two or more are gathered in his name, there God will be also. And if God is with us, who can be against us? As Matt and the band comes up to play the music, I want to ask you all here, do you know where your home is? If we go to a restaurant where they cook a specific kind of food, we leave that place only 30 minutes later, maybe an hour later, smelling of the scent of that food. And if we stay over at somebody else's house, if you stay there long enough, you start talking like them. You start behaving like them. If you see two couples 
and they get married, they start looking like each other. When people see us, do we give off the scent of Jesus? Are we with him long enough for people to see and recognize in our behavior, in our way of thinking, in our way of acting, in our way of talking? Are we speaking kingdom? Do we have the aura of the kingdom of God coming off of us? I know immediately when I meet certain people which high school they went to because they are immediately, they are very proud of it. They will tell me which team they root for when they watch a football team. So I know which team they're on and who they're rooting for. But is that the first thing that people see of us when they see, when they talk to us? Do they, do they hear where our home is, where our heart is yearning for, and what team we're rooting for? We have a place where we belong. We're not orphans, and we're not lost. A place that is safe, a place where we are loved, one of the families. And is that home that place where I belong, is that place Jesus? Is that where he is? Is that a place where worship happens? If it is, then you're expanding the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for a new year where we get to take some time to think upon what is to come, Lord. Lord, Heavenly Father, we are like the Israelites embarking on a journey trying to expand your kingdom. But God, we don't know where to begin. So Lord, as we do some spring cleaning and put our house into place, Lord, help us to realize, first of all, and acknowledge that our home is where you are, that our family is yours, Our life is yours. Our decision is yours. God, may you be our Lord. Teach us what it means to submit to your calling, to be obedient children, Lord, so that we may see what you can do through us. We can see your kingdom being expanded through us. Lord, first of all, teach us how to worship in the way you want us to, Lord. Help us not to have all the right intentions but all the wrong direction. Lord, Heavenly Father, help us not to raise our own golden calves thinking we're doing something for you when you don't need us, Lord. You just want us. Lord, help us to rest in you, always acknowledging your presence, God. Help us to slow down and so that we may hear your voice, Lord. Lord, at times it may be a little different way of speaking, a little way, different way of living our life, but God, you said we are like aliens in this land until finally we come home and we are in your presence and we get to see you face to face. But until then, may you pour out your spirit upon us, Lord, so that we may share with this world what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.